Yo, what's going on? It's Flip Tricks representing High Focus Records, The Four Owls. You're currently locked into Fly Fidelity, where we're going to talk about my career, my come up in the game, and recently celebrating High Focus Records' 12th birthday and many bits in between. First, First I, I say, say, what, what we're going to do. do. Then, then you, you say, I don't know. What do you want to do? What we're going to do, what you want to do. I have an idea. You're going to dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You want to get super flat, flat. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Welcome to another episode of Fly Fidelity with your host, Luke Bailey. This week, we're celebrating the 12th anniversary of High Focus Records with founder and artist Flip Tricks. Join us as we pay tribute and shine a spotlight on their historic contributions and growing legacy. Enjoy the conversation. There's no bulletproof vest Groove to the two-step Not no boost gets Got fam, so move Yeah, ain't you hef Always stay fresh Like a pair of new grips Dress, they're out the window But I just etched my name on the window So you can't see through the pain It ain't simple, it's complicated And I'm obligated to get back to basics Break shit right down Get stacks of paper with bars on top That's a mad behaviour It appeals to the real So I channel creations There's a pattern to the process Unravel the matrix Decode my pros I'm the ones with the O's Like V5-0 From I'm jammed with the bro You're a goner as a rise to my goals At the hand of Maradona Playing games like so I speak for every artist on High Focus when I say that everyone on a label has had a career built on perseverance and graft. But where does it begin for yourself as an artist pre-High Focus? Um, so I think for me, it was listening to hip-hop for the first time when I was about 12 or 13. And that's when I heard like American artists, you know, like the Fugees and... Big Pun, Big L, guys like that. And um, I was just a fan, you know. Obviously, it was very um, far removed from my reality at that point. So I was just really into the music. And then when I was about 16, that's when I heard UK hip-hop for the first time. And that's kind of when everything sort of changed for me. That was, you know, artists like Skinny Man, uh, mm. Kalashnikov, Jest, um, Task Force, a lot of those. The whole low life era that uh, you know, and and the, even guys before that like Rodney P and Black Twang and those sort of guys. So when I heard UK hip hop when I was about sixteen, seventeen, that's what first insti- inspired me to start writing. Um, and yeah, it was just for fun, uh, you know. And at the beginning, and then um, yeah, basically, I, I just had a lot of friends around me who all just started rapping and, you know, we'd have a few drinks or whatever and all just link up and just, like, 
freestyle and just like go in on the freestyling and just start writing bars and me and one of my mates who who stopped like writing a long time ago but we 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 first started recording stuff together you know we had a little duo and stuff like that and that's kind of where it began um and then at the same time in in Brixton there was an event uh called Speaker's Corner mm. uh, which I used to go to loyally every every event, pretty much every single one that I was about for, I'd be there because um, I was just a massive fan of of the artists that were performing. And that was the first place that I actually ever rapped live on a microphone was, uh, yeah, was at that venue, um, the Jamba, it's called in, in, in Brixton. And um, and then yeah, man, I just fell in love with it. Then you know the whole hip hop scene, all, all the elements is what sort of drew me in. You know, I love the DJing, you know, the break dancing, the graffiti. You know, I, I tried my hand at all of it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, and, uh, man. Absolutely. You mentioned two generations of UK hip hop when you were talking about your influences a minute yeah. ago. Starting at the beginning, talking about your generation, starting at the beginning. Give me a sense of this time and place you're coming up in as a lyricist in London. There's a turning point when UK hip hop is going through a renaissance and you're cutting your teeth, like you said, among this explosion of artists responsible for a boom in the open mic scene. What are your mm. earliest memories of Speaker's Corner back then at this time? Oh, man. Yeah, it was classic. I mean, it was a very epic uh, thing to be part of. You know, I remember Task Force performing down there. Like, man, everyone would just, like, smoke weed in the venue. And, like, I don't <laughs> know, it kind of had a, a slightly, you know, edgy side to it. And Different that, time. But, yeah, man. And just, like, so many people that you rated highly and respected would just be on the mic and just, like be passing through and then and then at that whole sort of time as well there was a sort of jump off um battle scene kind of going on you'd have guys like Stigger the Dump there as well and like mm. loads of, it was really organic you know what I mean there was a lot of freestyling there was it, you went out into the courtyard you know what I mean to like have a smoke or whatever and just like so many people would just be like rapping or playing the new beats or like I don't know it was a really really great place to go and connect and like I feel like it was pre sort of the whole social media stuff and even before like YouTube was really popping and like, you know, so it was like, it's where you had to go, you know, if you were into this and you wanted to be part of it, you had to be there, you know what I mean? You had to like live it. And that was like a lot of how I came up was going to every single open mic that I could. I go to shows, I'll just try and get the amount of shows that we just like got up on the mic at, which we weren't even like meant to be at, you know, like raves or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, and then we'd be outside like hustling the CDs, you know what I mean? Trying to sell CDs for a fiver and like, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it was. It, it, that's where a lot of the grind and the, the determination and the focus kind of stemmed from. Like, I mean, it was just the love for it and the hustle. Um, and I actually used to go like, skating up in the city a lot from a young age from around the time when I first started listening to hip-hop and what a big sort of turning point was seeing all the commuters on the train every single day and just noticing that like a lot of them didn't look that happy and we were going up and just like being free in the city and I was at that point when I decided that oh, I'm not going to be one of you guys I'm going to do my own thing and at that point I didn't know exactly what it was but I knew that it was going to be something creative and um yeah, it was actually from graffiti that I got quite into that. You know, I had a little run-in with the law, 
some of my mates got in more more sort of serious trouble for it and at that same time I was writing a lot of lyrics and I was like hmm, I'm just gonna like lean my creativity over to this side because there seems to be more of like a you know a path that I could follow as a, as a longer career while still having love for like the graffiti and the art form and you know it's all still hip-hop at the end of the day um so yeah man it's been a long journey it's been it's, it's been fun to watch it evolve you know Life it ain't simple, striding the planes as my pocket chains jingles I stay in the game till I'm old, grey and wrinkled Faith never jaded like JFK on the day he was taken Making my statement, hating the majors I'm blazing the grade, I'm a slave to the nation Stay by my mates till my grave gets laid in And I shed a little tear for the kids who have lost mum Shed a little tear for the fathers who lost sons In darkest of times, blood I bask in the hot sun when I'm running on a fat one, put holes on the massacre. Too many lost souls with no homes in Africa. Politicians, amateurs, they're stashing all the cash and they can jam around the Jaguars. Put me on the sand and then I'm switching up the caliber. Understand the challenge and dabble with dapper rappers in my manner, then I'll damage you. Brother, damage you with swords and the thoughts of Excalibur. I torture the ministers in war, on perimeters, it's war in the villages. Step forth till I finish this. On a course I endeavor, then I fly to the heavens on my Icarus feathers. Meet the wickedest weather. Meet a typical brother, I spit the mythical treasures Cause if you're clever then you'll know that I'm iller than ever Going back to the open mic for a minute What kind of impact do you think doing open mic had on you In terms of your perspective of audiences And realising this power you're talking about behind hip-hop How did that affect you? I think it taught me a lot Like even in ways of like how to perform and stuff You know, because when you first grab the mic Even like how to hold a microphone How to project your voice Like how to interact with the crowd and stuff. Like, I swear on the first time I got on the mic, I might have even, like, turned around for a bit and had my back to the crowd. You know what I mean? It's yeah. all learning. And then, like, and then and then seeing what you do live or, or, or bars that you've written and how when you kick a certain flow, the crowd get excited or how to, like, engage and, like, look at them or do any sort of call and response. Like, that was the whole... Um, the whole sort of package and and another thing that was going on around that time as well was end of the week which was um dj snuff was heavily involved in that's right and um i i did a end of the week competition and and in that you know you had to do like a written song you had to do an acapella you had to do like a freestyle like pulling things out of bag you'd have like a santa claus whatever like pulling things out the bag and freestyling <laughs> about them so they tested like every every ability you know of of yourself as a as an artist Mm. so I don't know man it was like you really had to be good you know to like have to get somewhere really because it was a very high it was a very high standard all all around really yeah Uh, and you had to be good at all all parts you know you couldn't just write a good song you know you had to be able to freestyle and 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 everything you know you're talking about a real boots on the ground experience back then. You mm. you were training back then. This is what yeah, you were yeah. doing. You were training back then. Definitely. Which takes Definitely. us to force-fed imagery. Recording your first album. What was that timeline and atmosphere like? It's your first time navigating, presumably, in a studio, and it drops mm. on renegade artistry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, 
that was a guy that I had met at Speaker's Corner. He was uh, he lived in Queens Road, Peckham. He was a producer called Avarice, and he had a, a music studio. You know, it was obviously a basic setup, but it was everything that you needed, like, for us back then. And um, he started sending me a few beats. I wrote some songs to his beats, and I came to his house, and I recorded them there. And I was working on an album, and, it, and everyone was just down to help each other. You know, there wasn't really, you know much money or anything even really in the scene back then or, or certainly for people in where we were in our career you know so it was yeah. all just for the love and everyone was just down to do it so oh man I like I remember like classic things like Ono Capono who was called Ono Boy that Ono Boy back then I remember him coming round with another guy called Ami Man um and I, I just remember them penning their verses for the for the track in like 15 minutes and just like recording it on the spot and just like, I don't know, again, it had a really organic uh, vibe and he was just helping me out and then um, Avarice was and then when it came to finishing the project, you know, I was like, oh, I, you know, is it should it come out on a label sort of thing and he, he had a small one called Renegade Artistry. Essentially, he just was, you know, he recorded it for me and did the mixing and then... Um, chemo mastered it and um yeah he just like gave us a place to um to record and and it was like yeah put my logo on the cd and and that was it really and then it was all down to me to hustle the hustle the albums um but that was kind of that was my first album but i almost see it as like a bit of a mixtape that was kind of me getting my foot in the door me, yeah. me finding my feet as like a recording artist like you know learning what I'm good at, what where I should like channel my energy, and then when it came to theory of rhyme for me, that was like my first like proper body of work in in a way. Do you know what I mean? Um, Were you happy with how it was received back then? Definitely. I mean, it, for me, it served the purpose. You know, it was like I was out there hitting up all the open mics and doing that stuff. I was a face, you know, as a face on the scene, people would have known my face or maybe heard my name, and just having that like tangible thing that you can. You know, I gave it for, for to free to all the the my art the artists that I rated, you know, or any producers that I wanted to work with, and then, you know, I sold it on the streets to get a bit of extra pocket change or whatever, and um, just get my name out there. So yeah, I was happy with how it received enough. Um, you know, it served its purpose, and there's still like a couple tracks on there, you know, to this day that I was like, oh yeah, that's still pretty good, you know. So, definitely, definitely. You mentioned chemo. This would have been your first time working with chemo. How did you guys meet? again man speaker's corner like it was the it was the hub like that's where that's where everyone um met he was recording a lot of artists at that time also producing some great instrumentals for a lot of guys um so yeah basically at, at that point he just mastered the uh, force fed imagery but from that point the whole of theory of rhyme and a large portion of my discography was recorded by chemo at Chemo's various studios that were around London. I think, you know, they went from Whitechapel to um, Forest Hill. There was like a few other places, um, you know, where he was based. And, you know, from Theory of Rhyme onwards, he pretty much recorded everything, mixed it, mastered yeah. it, and also produced some stuff for me as well. Um, I just loved like the sound that he, 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 he gave and the mixes he did with my vocals. And I really respected him as a producer. Um, so it just take it, everything just went up a notch in sort of professionalism, like all round, you know, from that first album to Theory of Rhyme, really. Um, 
So fast forward to Theory of Rhyme. You decide mm. to launch High Focus out of necessity, yeah. in a way, I guess, to release this second album. Who were, mm. who were some of the labels you initially shopped Theory of Rhyme to? Um, I mean, at that point, because obviously we were fans of Low Life, but Low Life had kind of crumbled. Right. And then Jest was running YNR which is his own label that had, you know, released his material on it, Verb T, Kashmir, um, you know, so a lot of other guys like Smurf Lil and people like that. Mm. Um, and again, Jest, I think, was... Jest and Chemo shared studios for, for many years. So um, our path started crossing. I was obviously a big fan of his stuff and our path started crossing. He would end up in the studio when I was finishing my recording, like, let's listen to that. Oh, that's sounding, sounding sick. And, you know, we built up a connection. He was rating what I was doing um, and he was hearing what, what was going on. And then one day I actually got a phone call from him and he was like, yo, you know, what are you saying, Flips? Do you, do you want to do a joint then sort of thing? And I was like, yeah, sick, like, of course, you know. Oh. So, like, um, yeah, I went round to his house and I remember he went through his NPC playing me a load of beats he had made recently and then we found the one for the track Get Involved um, and then we sat there together and we wrote, we sort of decided on the concept and how the hook would go and then we wrote both of our verses just sitting there chilling and then went down to the um, chemo and Jess studio at the time that was in Whitechapel and recorded that. And I remember watching Jess record as well because I was... Th- still a theory of rhyme i was still learning how to record properly you know so i was doing more drop-ins and and stuff like that and you know it's interesting when you see guys who have been doing it for a generation before me like jest or verb t when they were stepping in the booth then just like lacing verses in like one one whole take you know maybe they'll do a few takes and choose the best but they do you know and just like ah see you know it's like learning and just i don't know that was a special moment for me Monday to Sunday, the trigger tongue give a sister two shows to fundraise. Get a little stressed, I wanna run away some days. Jump out the mess and find the middle in this dumb maze. Pips I gotta make a lot, not little like some dumb brains. I do this for myself, my fam girl, and my home raise. The bill of split sick kid, keeping off the long days. Fuck work on shop trade, I'm box up a cop's face. Knock down the door till the motherfucking lock breaks. Don't knock me, you'll get knocked out like a cockney would do to you if you stepped on his shoe with the rude attitude from Man, they're getting chewed up and spat out like chewing gum. Your crew consists of one. I rap like tarantulas, bangs round the neck of your newborn son. Before my crew can even come, you're running and you've gone. The, the whole sort of high focus thing has been very like organic, you know, like how things have like grown and all the paths have crossed and. Yeah, man, it was it was definitely a special time. I want to piggyback on what you said about it being a learning process back then. Of course, you're going through a education yourself in this mm. music college course whilst you're working on theory of rhyme. What was it you learned mm. back then about recording and production during that time? Um, yeah, so basically, I learned how to produce on on Logic. I learned um, all the basic stuff, you know, about setting up microphones and soundproofing. I learned about like registering your music to like PPL and PRS and publishing, and a few basics about setting up a record label and like what you'd have to do. Um, 
so yeah i mean it was it was essentially like a production course um and then also teaching about the live element of recording which also went into like recording bands or recording drums or certain instruments and stuff um so i did delve into the production uh realm for you know a couple of years nice. but um because i was you know going so hard with the with the writing um, and at the same time, the label was starting to take off. I really had to, to make a, ch a choice, you know, I couldn't, to be a master of, you know, a, a couple of things I couldn't handle doing production at the same time, but it's definitely something that I still want, that I have dabbled in since, and I still want to get on into later on in my career, you know, um, that's kind of how, how the kind of college sort of situation went, but it was definitely helpful. Yeah, I could imagine, especially for the early earliest formulation of the label let's talk about the label which initially you're purely considering as a necessity for release of your own music aren't you how does it come about how does high focus as a label and, and a platform for you to release your album come about um so yeah i mean with that basically um i asked jest uh, at the time you know would you be up for releasing it on ynr and um essentially he was like, yeah, I would be up for releasing it, but he had a queue of about a year or a year and a half or something with other artist stuff that he had promised. And for me at that point, I, was, I didn't want to wait around that long and just was like, oh, the best advice I could give you is like, you know, to start your own label. So that's kind of how High Focus was born out, like you say, out of necessity. There were no other labels that were going to put it out. So you know i could only put it out myself because the, the scene wasn't even that massive there weren't that many options like there were some mm. of the small labels around when low life was around but they had also gone under like silent sounds and like there were a few others um so yeah that's basically how high focus um began and essentially it was just as a means for me to put out my own music um and then I did it professionally and it worked well and I enjoyed it. And then again, by being around a lot of talented people, um, you know, Jan Baxter was making an album. He just really enjoyed the creative side of it rather than the sort of like organisational and getting the thing, the, you know, the packaging together and the, the release strategy and the plan and the marketing and all that. He preferred mm. to focus on the artist thing. So, you know, I was like, I'll make you an offer. And then he was like, yeah, sounds good. And then... That's kind of how that happened, you know. And then again, it all just went from then. It was, the next one was Dirty Dyke, and then Leaf Dog, and then you know BVA, and then Verb T, and from then and then it just started to really roll, you know. And then I just went Tunnel Vision, like this is what I am doing, you know. Um, yeah, man, it was it was good, really good, really good times. I don't spit, I'm a great artist I paint with the padded and the brush and the easel poise We out for the recognition like demon boys You know action or rabbit like Easter toys It's your money or your life, be easy choice We make noise like an air horn Kush got me airborne Ambush that you ain't prepared for The minute we declare war We heard out the barn door bars galore Like Jason with the army
you're doing this at a time when, you know, the independent lane was as wide as it's ever been. Like you say, there's opportunity to do this label. Low Life's collapsed and isn't releasing anything. What, yeah. what are some of the ethics you took from Low Life and what would be some of the ethics you rejected from Low Life? Um, I think some of the things that we sort of took, I mean, I love physical product, you know, that was always a big thing for me when you'd created something, you know, that lived digitally to put it on a vinyl, to put it on a CD, to have that there um, was a really big thing for me. Um, also, I think with the whole, a lot of the guys, um, all of the early signings, Jam Baxter, Dyke, Dyke Leaf Dog, they're all actually great artists, like, you know, a lot of it graffiti inspired. So I think because of having that love for graffiti, that naturally went onto album artwork and we really all wanted to have dope artwork. So I think that, um, you know, uh, definitely played a big part in it. Um, and also like the whole YouTube thing, you know, we got on that reasonably early and we, we were pretty on it with the videos, um, which is a more newer generational thing. Low Life did a bit of that, but, you know, like I say, you know, it's like rolling with the time. So we were just, um, we were kind of. You were the uh, first. Yeah, yeah, for real. Was was the risk always worth the reward in the beginning? And, and how did you learn to trust those instincts between, you know, maintaining your own career as well as juggling multiple others back then? Mm, I mean, I think it was just a passion um, for the scene, you know, in general, like, when I'm, I get kind of obsessive and pretty tunnel vision and just like, uh, you know, when I when I want to do something, I do it kind of properly. So, um, you know, with the writing, I just I do that when the inspiration hits often at night, you know. So, like I say, when I decided that I wasn't going to be a commuter and I was going to do my own thing, um, I had to have something to channel that energy into. And that became high focus you know and at the beginning I did absolutely everything you know all them early orders in the first sort of two or three years I probably would have even written the addresses on the envelopes and posted them out personally mm -hmm. done the customer feedback so like I know every element of the business and like, as the labels expanded um you know jobs have been delegated out for you know distribution and um people to help work working with the label and running the label and various graphic designers and um videographers and man yeah had a really great uh talented team over over the years man well going back to your second album there's there's already a relationship with verb t who features on two songs as well as jam baxter what mm. sticks out most recording that album pre-high focus um i think working with people that i was like big fans of like you know getting verb t on the album getting jest on the on the album um you know having beats from chemo having cashmere on there like those guys were some of my favorite uk rappers so it was only mm. my second album and i was already working with some of my favorite artists and you know jan baxter i always thought for me he was one of the like most incredible uk um wordsmiths you know what i mean his pen game is pretty next level so like you know doing tracks with him and that was was really um really inspirational you know and um and that kind of propelled me on with the with the rest of my career and if we're talking about landmark moments for the label and we're talking about foundational moments how many years does the contact play album predate high focus that's pretty i think that's um 
it came out i think around sort of um maybe theory of rhyme kind of time or maybe just a year or so yeah. I, it was very it was very close to to the birth of high focus um i knew those guys when they were recording i just met them when they were sort of finishing that album like in the first year of or so of meeting them i had just moved to brighton from London and at that time Jan Baxter was living there, Mr. Key was living there, I think Bosch was there um, and then Dyke was actually did a couple of years in prison and then came out and moved to Brighton and I remember they recorded a, a lot of the album and then um, and then Dyke kind of came out with like bare bars and just like jumped on loads of the tracks and like focused and like yeah just like literally you know, smashed it on the album and um, like really became part of it. And I remember this guy, Adrian, um, you know, whose thing was, was called Too Many Steps, recording it. They, they were pretty crazy days, man. <laughs> they were pretty crazy days. Classic. A lot of partying, a lot of freestyling and a lot of a lot of creative creativeness went down then, man. The good old days. How do you look back on that album, knowing its reputation is a cult classic now? Did, did you realise back then that you know, you're releasing something that's so singular in its vision back then. Mm, um, I mean, yeah, it was, there was definitely something magic about the time. I knew that something special was kind of going on, even from the way that people were like reacting to the music and and how things were in a physical sense. Like, you know, at the open mics, at the shows, you know, like friends were putting on nights and like big numbers were coming and like, yeah, that album actually came out on a label, I think, called School Body Re Records uh, from Cambridge. Um, and then High Focus later, like, digitally distributed it and stuff. Um, right. And since then, the lads have just, like, they, they did a little vinyl run uh, themselves as well, which is great that it finally made it onto Wax. But, yeah, that was a real classic album. And it was around that time that I first met up with Leaf Dog and, and uh, BVA as well. Again, I remember hearing Leaf Dog on MySpace taking it back um, and thinking yeah this guy is sick and then like a couple weeks later I end up meeting him in Brighton and and he ended up coming and uh, playing at one of my album launches as well um, and then man yeah we've been friends ever since it's one of the things that makes High Focus such a unique label, the fact that every signing has either been like you say a friend of a friend or someone you've met through musical association is that mm. the case for the entire first wave of artists signed to the label? Yeah, man, it's literally it's literally the case all the way up to Coops. Like Coop, Coops was the first artist that no one knew. Um, you know, people may have heard his music, but no one knew him personally. That I didn't know personally. That I just reached out to. I think on Twitter or something. I just sent him. And I heard his music, and I was like, "Wow, this guy's dope!" Like he's. Mm he's seriously good and like the production was classic sort of boom bap style like very very much what sort of high focus were putting out and his lyrics again like really dope lyrics you know conscious sort of like great great vibe and um yeah you know I've often referred to like high focus as a brain and he really like I like everyone to have their individual spots and he really filled like a great area in the label I feel um you know he fit he fit in really well and um yeah i basically just reached out to him and, and um and then ended up linking him at his studio in hackney and we met up a few times and then um and then yeah basically decided we want to wanted to work together on some projects we, we made a couple tracks together as well 
which is nice to always work musically. Um, but I think with him, his stuff was coming out on SBTV. It was coming out on Grind Daily. It was coming mm. out on uh, sort the sorts of platforms that hit the mark with some of their fan base, but not with the large sort of portion. Whereas his stuff really fitted with our our fan base, you know. So straight away when we uploaded it, like I remember putting out that HFTV exclusive bars. If you haven't seen it, check that out. That's like it's some classic classic coops. Dope. Yeah. So you gave him guidance. You took him under your wings very much as a mentor in some ways of sorts. Mm, I guess, yeah. I mean, one, oh man, I remember, I think Coops has actually only done maybe two live shows before signing to High Focus, if I remember correctly. It's either one or two. And one was supporting Nas. I think one of his first shows, he, he entered a competition. This is, proves how dope he is. He entered a competition uh, and it was like the best uh, submission we'll get to support Nas at some massive club in London. And anyway, he won. And that was like his first gig. Wow. <laughs> what a first gig. I know, getting dropped in the deep end. And then, um, and then I think he did, he did another one, I think. And then, um, and then basically got signed to High Focus. And because we were, were smashing the live circuit, he ended up doing loads of shows. And we did some international shows. We went to Croatia together, Switzerland together. And um, yeah, it really opened the door for Coops, I think, in terms of like expanding his fan base to a great audience that loved his style of music. And it opened up the live circuit um, a lot for him as well. Um, so it's good, man. Speaking of audiences, what's the story behind the four hours coming together as a group? Mm. Yeah, so that's another classic. So um, at the time I was living in Camberwell, um, I was actually living with uh, a producer called Run One who made quite a few of my early beats on my first couple of albums. And um, Leaf Dog, I'd agreed to release this from a Scarecrow's perspective album. Um, we needed to link up to shoot a couple music videos and get some like press shots and stuff. And um, basically he came down to London and brought BVA, Beaver, along with him. And... Um, yeah, basically just turned up at my flat and was like, yo, I brought Beaver down. I was like, yes, how's it going? Anyway, we spent like a few days to go together. We went and shot the music video for Some People Say and um, and another one, I think. And then um, basically Leaf had been producing for, for a while, for a few years, I think. And he'd really started to hone his craft at that point and, and really make some dope dope shit and basically came to my yard with like 600 beats or something <laughs> Damn. Um, and yeah we just we initially me leaf and beaver just started making a couple tracks then we were like oh we're making an ep and then i think we were listening to a cypress hill tune called burn another owl so like they're referring to the owl as a zoo so we're like oh we're burning mad owls <laughs> burning mad owls. <laughs> yeah, like well high in the yard just making tunes and at that point, I'd re they were they were obviously fans of Verb T. I'd recently connected with Verb T, done a couple of tracks with him. I was like, we should get Verbs on a couple of these joints. They were like, yeah, send them over. So we sent them to him. And then at that point, we were like, oh, we'll make a crew. We'll call it the Owl Trinity. Like, it, we were all just like, literally just having fun. We're like, yeah, we'll call it the Owl Trinity. And then, and then Verbs was up for it. He's like, oh, I'll jump on all of these tracks. And then we're like, oh, do you just want to be part of the group? And then he was like, yeah. So we basically sat down and like went through like 600 Leaf Dog beats. I think we trimmed it down to like 40 or 50. And then we went through them again and called it down to like 
14, which was the 14 that we chose. We we had penned like four tracks together, and then we we decided the concepts for like the remaining eight tracks. We're like, this song's going to be about this. This one's going to be about this. It's all very specific. If you listen to that album, like every a lot of stuff has been with the four hours. But if you listen to that album, you know, there's like betrayal, not like me, like the story, you know, of like where we come from, and there's so many different topical tunes in there. So we decided all the topics. We went away. And then two weeks later, we booked Chemo Studio and everyone came down and um, and we laid the album. And it, that ended up changing the game for us um, yeah. completely. And it was made so quickly, so organically, so much for fun. Like we were like, oh, yeah, well, let's give ourselves our names. So I was like, oh, I'm Big Al. And then, you know, like Deformed Wing for Leaf Dog, Rusty Takeoff for BVA and Bird T. And we even gave Chemo an owl name, which was Shitty Claw. That's right. <laughs> and like, yeah, so, um, man, that was that, that was was pretty magic. And then we didn't even realise what, what we had made when we had made it. You know, we, we were just like, oh, this, you know, we we're just having fun. And we we're like, oh, we'll record the owls. And then I pressed the CD up with the owls. And then I checked on iTunes. And I was like, shit, there's like a band with the name the owls. So it was like, oh, we'll just be the four owls. So then that's why we stuck the four in. Um, and then I basically reprinted the the covers for the CDs and I put them all in. And yeah, at first it was just a digital and CD release. We'd never even released a vinyl on High Focus. And that was the first vinyl we ever released and we had to do it in an ep format because we didn't have enough money to press like a double vinyl so we just chose oh really yeah we chose what we thought was our favorite songs i think there's like eight songs on the first ep version only 300 all hand numbered and um from from that we obviously pressed it on a double vinyl full album and have done loads of represses of that since but um yeah man when that dropped like the whole concept behind it i think it was exciting you know like because we announced like there's new shit coming like from the owls and we just put out a video of like an owl flying over like <laughs> you know and like and then when we dropped it we dropped lights off i think and then we dropped not like before with the music video and like yeah after that we just started getting tons of show bookings like everywhere and then like europe really started finding out about us and yeah we're doing loads of shows and like fat tours in Austria, loads of tours in Austria and like Switzerland and playing like massive big street parties in Barcelona and Croatia countless times. And oh man, the list goes on. I, I probably f- forgot so many of them. <laughs> they all turned into like a big blur. But yeah, it was like that was um, domination. Yeah, yeah. It was a real game changer. Kind of surprise. I think that might have been the album. I mean, it definitely sounds like it was for you, but for me, it might have been the album that solidified High Focus as a force in the culture. You mm-hmm. talked about, you know, there being a gap in UK hip-hop after Low Life dissolved as a label. How much mm-hmm. do you think that gap elevated you to cultivate a scene as much as your own style and identity with The Four Owls? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely did. Like you say, you know, there was just a massive sort of gap in the market, so you know, there was space for something to happen and there was, it, it just needed all of that new life. And, you know, you asked me before, like, what was something that High Focus learned from low life that we wouldn't do? And that's, you know, we always, always paid our artists. We always paid our artists on time. Everything's always been on point. It's always been above board. And like, 
you know, that stuff can make things go funny. And I think that's what happened a little bit at the end of Low Life. So we really, you know, high focus has always been on point um, because it's, you know, it's all been friends and it's been organic. And um, yeah, you know, we've we've just sort of grown grown from there, really. What, what rephrase the question again as well, because I went off on a little slight tangent. No, no, that's, that's, that's fine. I was just wondering how much, you know, you think that gap we're talking about elevated you to cultivate and grow a scene, you know, as much as your own music back then, because that's what you were doing. You were for, you were forging a scene, you know, collectively across the country, whether it be fans or artists, there was a, a, a union happening. Yeah, well, yeah, there really was, man. And I think that really happened as well because of the union of artists and the way we collaborated with each other and how everyone saw, you know, us coming together. And when you come to a high focus show, you know, we'd all be together, like, you know, all up on stage, everyone getting hyped, doing each other backings. And there was just a real energy, you know, and like where energy is, it will, other others will naturally gravitate towards it. And I think, like you say, with the Four Hours album, um, you know, that, that did really, that was a turning point in the label, you know, like, I think, mm. obviously, some people probably like, who are these guys? Like, who do these guys think they are? <laughs> you know, but, but we were smashing it and like, people were coming to the shows and then with the, with the four hours thing, that really, that really proved something. And obviously we'll probably get onto it later, but when the four hours collaborated with DJ Premier on mm. our second album, that was, that just took it to a whole new level. That was like, you know that's just like some childhood dream shit and that didn't that didn't just prove our status in the UK but it took us like fully overseas you know to America and you know just in terms of like fan base and 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 again all around Europe again um yeah it was special times what are your memories of hip-hop developing in the UK during that time outside of high focus Mm. um Man, for me, it was just a lot about the live element, you know, and um, I think people, when people could see that things were going on, like, it it naturally drew them into it. And I just remember seeing people like, you know, Leaf Dog beginning producing, Dirty Dyke beginning producing, starting, you know, going round to, you know, Dyke's flat when he was in Brighton and him playing me loads of the early, like, Ocean Wisdom beats and, like, you know, Ocean Wisdom came around and recorded that walking song in like one take when, you know, when he was just going around for a smoke and it just happened. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm. it was just mad organic. Um, and um, yeah, it just really everyone just drawing inspiration from each other. Um, it was an exciting time. It wasn't as much sort of online. We were utilising online, like things like Instagram and all that social medias and stats have really kind of changed change things you've got to be on it and you've got to roll with the times but then it was m- more about actual the actual reality rather than like a in- internet reality although we were very much using social media and youtube to propel our craft and get our music to other audiences across the world you know that's interesting well could you speak to that you know that journey of having to learn how to handle to some regard i guess every facet of that business on your own independently what would have been some of your earliest lessons um like believing in yourself and not being scared to invest in your craft 
And, you know, for the first two and a half years, High Focus didn't make any money. It didn't make a profit. It was only after that that it, it did start to. But, you know, I had to do, do whatever day jobs or whatever to keep myself afloat until, you know, 2012 when I was like, OK, I can fully commit to music now. This is actually paying the bills, um, which would have been probably, yeah, like, a, I think just the year after the, not long after the, the Four Hours Nature's Greatest Mystery um came out um and then again with the, with the dj premiere thing you know that was like a big investment um for for us but then like straight away how it propelled us you know all the show fee come up and we we recouped like in like a matter of weeks you know like so it was just like yeah a, a, a real turning point and um yeah i learned a lot a lot you've just got to be you've got to have good relationships with people and you've got to put yourself out there and you've got to believe in yourself and you have to have the passion you know um and like I love what I do so it doesn't really feel like I'm working you know too much <laughs> what's going on if you are still listening to this episode and enjoying the podcast why not become a patron of fly fidelity at patreon.com slash flyfidelity. Becoming a patron means you are directly supporting our show and helping us to create a new episode each and every week. It also means that as a thank you for being a super supporter, you'll be able to access exclusive content to you, including patron updates, offers and discounts, a monthly secret podcast, early access, and so much more. Yeah, I think the live element has always been very important. And um, like I say, you know, with the, all the artists working together, the live shows always had a certain vibe and a certain energy. And I think that was only natural because of our age and where we were located and how we were meeting. We were meeting at like live venues. You know, we were doing open mics at live venues. Like I crossed paths with a promoter called Jack Robinson, like real early in my in my days. And he ran a festival called Outlook Festival um with a couple of other mates and has since gone on to do tons of stuff and we teamed up and made like a promotions company and that's how we did all the high focus events together so that was a massive thing of like putting our own events on which like you say it wasn't just pushing people as artists it was pushing a whole scene so like you know to have a scene the live element was like massively fundamental um and it was a great way uh, for the artists to make money and start to live off their music to give energy back to the fans and give them somewhere where they can see see the artists perform and also a great way to get new artists up and out to wider audiences you know by getting them on supports as we were sort of building their careers and stuff you know like you know the four hours we took ocean wisdom on tour right at the beginning right when he'd been signed you know um just to just to get get his name out there more you know and then and then he obviously went on to do some incredible stuff from from then onwards you know
hitting the under the punch from the fact of the matter I'm bigger and better I couldn't be unsung I beg all these rappers investing in the Alice instead of your mum's drum dun 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 dipping out of that dumb little man thing I can't be risking all of that shit if I'm on a mission trying to be the king that's kind of dumb done digging in a rut trying to see a sign shinier than what I'm digging with disciplining and I vision it bigger fish they want to mirror it I'm not a copycat but the classmates want copy man I had to camouflage a little bit I felt a little violated if I'm honest and a nigga looking at me in the wrong way it's going one way I'm on a runway I'm on a plane now I'm going somewhere they want to level with me that's someday I'm on big 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 business go with the pen and pad they couldn't live with this the man a little man a man's a little fish I'm kind of oceanic did you get my drift they want to dip 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 do something on the high street in a new something that's my way but recoup what I spent I ain't really trying to lose nothing I'm done what are your favourite standout memories of touring and doing shows mm, I think um, performing the Outlook Festival in Croatia on the main stage um was a very special one um just for the sheer size of the crowd it was it, it was massive and and just having that many people who also knew the words and were, and were like chanting them back um i remember a real special one that we played this free festival in austria and i think there was like forty thousand people there some crazy amount and and it was just so hype you know uh, mm. and i think yeah doing some some big shows that we've done in London at like Brixton Electric. There's been some classic times. Um, one I remember, Jan Baxter, when he brought a uh, inflatable boat down because he had this tune uh, with Lee Scott or something, and they had a boat in it or whatever. And he right. in, in the video, and he brought down the inflatable boat backstage. And I remember Lee Scott like, "What are you doing with that?" And he's like, "We're taking it out." And they blew it up, and then he like put the boat out and went and, and like sailed around the whole crowd on this inflatable boat and <laughs> just shit like that, man, which is just like, you know, classic, classic memories, you know, to fill venues like that in around the area where I grew up and, and, um, and had attended shows to later on be like, you know, selling them out with a roster of artists that, that, you know, we've all built, built together. It's just, yeah, a great feeling. Incredible. What about the time that Dirty Dyke brings out the, there was a van he brings out on the road? Oh, yeah, 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 the caravan. Right, right. What's the oh, story man, behind yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was classic there. Yeah, that was for his acrylic snail tour. Um, and he was just kind of like, how can I elevate my stage show? You know, like, what what can I do? And, and obviously Dyke, you know, represents, you know, like that kind of wild sort of element. So he, he ended up getting a caravan, like specially built by one of his mates, like they cut, make, cut it in half so that pe- people could come through the door onto stage and like do a feature verse and then leave. And he also had this like girl called Dot, Dot the Clown, who like dressed up as a clown and he had her clown on stage and he had some mad like, um, uh, what was it like snail head mask he like came out of the caravan <laughs> snail like, with the clown and like mad dancers and shit and then yeah he he recently ended up burning that uh, caravan in, in one of his videos for one of his latest singles man. that's right yeah it really these moments we're talking about they really harken back to you know days where you would have cypress hill with mm. the giant barn on the stage yeah. And there would be huge installations on stage. You can trace it mm. back to up in smoke as well, of course. These are moments. Yeah, exactly. Come on in, you fat kids. 
let's have a fucking go. Put 20p in the swear jar, you shitting fuckhouse. Now in my younger days I used to kick your face And take pills in the field in this little race No skills, no appeal, just a tin of paint And no frills to reveal if it's real or fake Both hands wrapped round my Gary sack So fantastic that a man collapsed It's only bad practice that I'm happy at Stand back and watch me stab a smack dagger down your back I'm about come and catch me if you counteract I'll wash you up and shot you off the punters like an ounce of crack I know that you're probably in the most impartial position, but is, is there a project or through a process, a, a release that High Focus released that stands out more or resonates more with you personally? Um, yeah, I mean, there definitely are some. I guess it, the, it's kind, there's kind of two elements to that because it's like my personal releases, like ones that I'm personally fond of, and then there's ones of like, you know, the rest of the catalogue. It's kind of hard to separate the two. Um, so I'd say, like, um, I mean, some of the early ones, like, you know, Leaf Dog from a Scarecrow's perspective or, you know, Dirty Dyke, Constant Dyke Star, those, those early ones, even the Verb Team Morning Process, you know, they they were really in that the classic era of, 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 you know, the backbone of high focus of where we built from. And I think, you know, Nature's Greatest Mystery from the Four Hours is always going to hold a special place in my heart. Um, and I feel like that my solo third eye of the storm as well I was really proud of that album and I still am to this day I feel like I honed my craft even more in that one than on, on Theory of Rhyme and um, yeah there's been so many over the years it's really hard to pick uh, to pick uh, that and my opinion may change on day to day but I would say yeah those ones were pretty special how do you judge artistic success yourself? Is it mm. about a pleasurable production process or is it about how it's received publicly and critically? Mm. Um, I would just say, you know, if the artist is is happy, you know, and um, it's not really about views or money or, or, or anything like that. It's if the artist is, like, really proud but it does make a difference how how much it resonates with people and that obviously leads you know to to income and stuff like that so you know it's great that pretty much the large majority of every artist on high focus manages to live off their music so you know if we, if everyone's living in their art i would say that you know they're they're successful to me you know uh, and it, you don't even have to be that to be successful. If you're happy, you're you're successful, man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you, if you work if you work a job, but and it doesn't pay much, but you like your job, and then you do music as as a hobby, and and it brings you joy, then that's successful too, man. It's just about being happy. Money doesn't bring happiness. It's, but if you're if you're happy, then then you're successful. I think. <laughs> completely agree so you're saying it's very much defined by your own admission exactly yeah what about signings in 2022 can you walk me through what it's like when you first hear an artist and you want to sign mm. what, you know is it an immediate feeling or is it something that develops over time I think it's it's definitely an immediate feeling but it can also be something that develops over time um, you know for for instance, like Tremendous, um, she 
has been on the label for you know a couple of years now, but um, or a few years probably even. But I had noticed her maybe six years ago or something like that, and I'd reached out to her a couple times, but we didn't end up connecting. She was working on other stuff at the time, and then you know messaged her again a couple of years later, and we did end up connecting, and she rate, looked into more what we're doing and rated it and became part of the team. So. Um, you know, that's sort of like an instant feeling that I had that like, yo, she's dope. I'd really love to put out her music where then it took a few years before it actually ended up happening. Um, obviously, we've got a big roster at the moment, so it's quite full. And I still like the sort of organic approach of things mm. falling naturally into place. And that always does. Like, I'm always getting sent albums from lots of people, um, you know, on the label and not on the label. Um, but yeah, I'm always on the lookout. But um yeah we've got i got it's a high caliber <laughs> it is do you think any of the artists you deal with demand too much of themselves what about somebody like ed scissorton he's got this reputation for being a real stickler to the details do you think any of the artists you work with demand too much of themselves oh man i mean it's hard isn't it because it's all it's it's everyone's art. It's relative to everybody personally yeah. right Exactly. So, for example, yeah, like Scissor Tongue, like you say, Ed Scissor, like he really goes in on the details. Like he, whenever he mixes his album, it's always got more versions than, than anyone else. You know, like he says, ah, oh, tweak that hi-hat, you know, make this vocal go a little bit louder there. Da, 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 da. But he's striving for, 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 for perfection. So you can only admire that, you know. Then you then you have someone like Ransom Badbones, for example. Like we sent Chemo all his stems for his new album, and Chemo did an incredible job. He sent it back, and Badbones was like, "That sounds heavy," and that was his feedback. Right? <laughs> so it's like Badbones, like that's heavy. You smashed it on version one, like you know. Whereas like Ed Scissor, you know, different album mixed by Chemo, lots and you know lots of tweaks, but people people strive for it in in their own different ways you know yeah. i mean it's something that i've definitely seen um with producers over the years where they've made like tons of beats but never get them out like they never send them to any vocalists or they don't like finishing it but which is fine if you're just making it for fun but like you know a lot of people make incredible music that doesn't see the light of day and they could be in a, a better place in their life if they'd like just managed to get it over the line you know um i mean even someone like leaf dog you know he man he i've the amount of songs that guy makes man he ha probably has easily hundreds maybe th th probably thousands of unreleased like vo vocal tracks and definitely instrumentals like it's mad he makes so much music he doesn't even know like <laughs> you'll be like i don't even know what's good anymore bro like, <laughs> Like, I'll send you 20 of these tunes. Let me know your favorite. Like he's, you know, so everyone's different. Whereas me, I don't write as much as him. I don't record as much as him. So I, I release quite a lot of what I record, you know, I obviously slim off the ones that I'm not happy with and stuff, but yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I was just about to ask you about your process in terms of how you measure your output, but you said it yourself, you don't record as much as him. How do you strategize an album around what else is coming out as an individual artist yourself? I think, I mean, I kind of separate the high focus and like my creative process. So um, 
pretty much since like 16 you know for around like 15 16 17 years I've, i wrote like very consistently um recently in the last year and a half i actually had nearly a year off and and the last half a year i've been like back on it um which is just kind of life situational stuff i, I moved and you know i had a baby and mm. like the world was flipping on its head and like you know like it was nice to have a have a have a break and now I feel like excited to come to come back. But I always like to try and make around an album a year or you know, an album every two years. Hopefully, you know, try and do an album a year. But like sometimes, you know, it's been two before uh, or it's been even nearly three with the owls and stuff like that. But um yeah, I like to stay stay um productive and with high focus really it's like when something's ready it goes to press like straight away if if i've agreed to an artist that their music's coming out once the masters are sent straight away it'll go off for like you know mastering and cutting on vinyl because it takes so long and like we don't want anyone like having to hang around and not be happy with their music so i, I just deal with like my flip trick stuff whenever the inspiration strikes which is mostly at night and um and yeah just keep it rolling like that and just fit it in as as and when things are ready are you in album mode right now yeah yeah i'm in album mode right now actually <laughs> nice yeah, nice i've got about sort of nine tunes down for a new solo and um we've also done a couple of new four hours songs as well before the tour which we've just finished which was um which was great we did a tour of the uk and um yeah eight dates and yeah now we've got a good buzz for that so hopefully we'll come back and and get the fourth four hours album done um and a, a new solo album which will no doubt come before hey. on the real on the really they're saying where's are you dumb are you dumb are you dumb Hey, and I told her Still a lot of ways, are you dumb? No, my G, I'm really smart Man can come with a gang can flow When they kick does get, you can hear the bars And I tell them niggas just listen Intricate flows, I'm specifically odd Literally just dropped all my new bars Now I might have a drop for a regular bar they're like, where's are you dumb? No, my G, I'm really smart. Man can come with a can can flow. When the kick does kick, you can hear the bars. And I tell them niggas, just listen. Intricate flows, I'm specifically odd. Literally just dropped all my new bars. Now I might have a draw for a ring, kill it bar. Look, man, wanna chat about stats and that. It's not that for you niggas in the back and that. You got bars for a nigga that is whack and that. I got peace, so fish hack and that. It's like, hack. why you trying to act hack and that? You catch case that my lap catch hacky sack. It's not games. For you brothers trying to catch a cat I'm like Jerry in this bitch Can't catch a rat It's like all you sweet You got the cordial in you I see them all lose sleep Trying to walk with the whistle And when I spit this heat I see the audience sizzle I take a thing backstage And give a meet in the middle She want me in the middle I make her come all the way She looking at me like she's stuck in the rain I'ma slap it though And I ain't even got the heart to complain Because the way she back it up is insane she make her brother dumb And back when I was formulating memories And exercising all my rights To war with all my enemies I had a lot of negativity Producing energy surrounding me So I persistently produced a remedy Crow and all the man them that I smoked it with The nerds to the man them moving opiates Handy with the pokey ting, Kong with the bricky ting Partnum with the smoky ting, man them on the whizzy ting Everybody knows it Still the lightweights are you dumb? No, my G, I'm really smart Man can come with a gang can flow When the kick 
Gas geht, you can hear the bars and I tell them niggas just listen Intricate flows, I'm specifically on Literally just dropped all my new bars Now I might have to draw for a ring, kill it bar They're like, where's he dumb? No, my G, I'm really smart Man can come with a can-can flow When the kick does kick, you can hear the bars And I tell them niggas just listen Intricate flows, I'm specifically on Literally just dropped all my new bars Now I might have to draw for a ring, kill it bar There were certain like level up moments, you know, in the label, like Nature's Greatest Mystery was a level up moment when we did Natural Order and we did put out Think Twice with DJ Premier. That was a level up moment. Then, you know, Dyke meeting Ocean and then producing um, Chaos 93. That was like a big, real big moment. And then when he went on to do Wizville and collaborated with um, Method Man, uh, from Wu Tang and Dizzy mm. Rock School and loads of other UK legends like Roots Maneuver and stuff like that. That was a level up moment again, and we actually ended up getting that album charted. It, it, it got in the top forty, which is pretty epic for a, you know an independent UK hip hop. Yeah. Um, and it's unheard it was, of, right? Yeah, unheard of, man. Completely unheard of. Um, and yeah, I remember, you know. And it was just so great. Again, it was even organic with Method Man and, and Dizzy. I remember Ocean managed to get a connect through like supporting them on tour. And then, you know, we sorted the business and Method was cool. And I remember him, he came and he did the video for free and he linked up with us in Brixton. I remember there, like I was Dope. I was at the video shoot holding a light. Like, do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, I've got to come to the show. Like, I want to be there for the shoot. And like... You know what I mean? I was just even helping out, like, and I just remember being in that room with Method Man and Ocean, and then like smoking a fat zoo, and I was just like, wow, like, this is this is some classic shit. Um, and again, another classic story with Dizzy Rascal. Like, Ocean has always been a massive fan of Dizzy Rascal. Always wanted to collaborate with him. He's spoken to me about it quite a few times, and uh, his management had actually reached out to Dizzy to try and get him on that album. And I think we ended up getting a reply being like, oh, no, you know, we can't do this. He's too busy, blah, 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 blah. And then anyway, around a similar time frame, maybe a few weeks later or something, Ocean, um, Dizzy Rascal's gym trainer was playing some Ocean Wisdom and Dizzy stopped him and was like, yo, who's this kid rapping? And he's like, it's Ocean Wisdom. And then he was like, yo, put me in connect. <laughs> I need to work with this guy. So Dizzy Rascal reached out to Ocean Wisdom and said, yo, I want to collab. And and then, you know, he was such a G about it. And like, you know, we just booked a studio for them basically. And then and then uh yeah, he came down and they wrote um and they wrote Revving, um, which when we dropped that, you know, that popped off. And yeah, again, another classic moment, you know, a big crossover from you know a proper uk legend and a big inspiration to me you know dizzy rascal got like you know a mercury award for like boy in the corner that he produced on a playstation when he was 16 and shit you know that's some incredible shit as well so. incredible incredible if we're talking about crossing over what's the story behind the more recent signings like uh nelson dialect coming to the label yeah so um Basically, with Nelson Dialect, again, quite a, a sort of a natural thing. So um, 
recently we signed Verbs and Mr. Slips. Um, you know, as I was living in Brighton for a little while, become familiar with Mr. Slips. I'd heard some of the stuff that Verbs was doing. And for me, it's also about putting people on, giving younger people the opportunity. Verbs is like quite a fair amount younger than us. I thought Slips was really dope. I was like, oh, this is some great new new talent, new new blood to bring through into the scene who, you know, aligns with High Focus's vision and, and sound. Um, so basically we put that album out and on there, there was a track called Hope that Nelson Dialect featured on. Um, they did a music video for it. It, it. The response went down pretty well. Um, and then Nelson was over from Australia staying at Mr. Slips's yard. And when Mr. Slips would go out to work, Nelson would just like raid Mr. Slips's computer and like pretty much like made an album in like a week or two or something. And like um, that ended up being dope. And then I hadn't really thought about branching out. Like I thought about branching out of the UK, but I was always like, oh no, I'm happy. I like sort of just keeping it UK. Um, I toyed with the idea of like a few Americans and stuff, but it never ended up working out. Um, really yeah i mean i thought i thought of it but it was nothing that really got pursued um too much i mean we've had we had a lot of people reaching out but um yeah and then basically nelson uh mr slips was like yo i've produced this album for this you know for nelson dialect do you want to hear it and and i listened to it and i was just like this is really dope like you know it wasn't something that i would think i would immediately do because he wasn't australian but then i heard the music i was like this music is great like i loved his his vocals uh, you know his content um you know he, he's very good with his words his vocabulary and mr slips's production is dope i just thought it sounded like a classic record um, yeah it does man and then and then also nelson dialect verbs and mr slips have also been busy in the studio as a trio more news on that to come but basically it was kind of a bit of a trilogy vibe going on there with the verbs and uh, mr. slips the nelson dialect to mr slips and then you know some more work coming as a trio so yeah it was a bit of a, a package again happened organically and was just yeah too dope for me to say no <laughs> Follow me into the shady side. Vaporize the 85s with the crazy vibes. They say it's all or nothing. But it's hard to move forward because of all the rusting. Trying to feel something. It cost me an eyeball and it revealed nothing. Sometimes there ain't no explanations. That's life, but nothing could change its destinations. Battling demons on the new day in Sunnydale requires concentration like my youth playing Undertale. Idle fucks make me think I'm going mental. Got me feeling like Indiana Jones up in the temple. I shoot farther than the golden archer. There'll be no departure. My brother holds katanas in the holy arm. Until I find the secret treasure that's inside the vault. I ninja holds the mic like Zeus with the lightning bolt. They really want to bring it to my soul, but no. They can try it, but never take control, so yo. They really want to bring it to my soul, but no. I mean, for me, Kashmir, I've always thought he's one of the best, if not the best, like, for me personally. Like, I, lo I just love his voice. I love his, like, esoteric, like, kind of vibes on his tunes his like really 
he his references, his voice, like the cadence. Um, oh man, I just think he's incredible. And when you see him live, he's incredible. It's just like he's he's dope. And um, yeah, Casimir has been on a funny journey because he smashed it like a good few albums while we were coming up. And then for years he was always like, oh, I'm quitting. I'm not going to do this. And then he'd be like. Oh, yeah, I'm doing a verse, or I've made a few beats. Oh, I'm going to stop like back and forth. But in in the last sort of few years, he's really like, no, nah, I'm doing this, like getting serious with it now. And because I was such a fan of his, I was like, come, you know, let's work, let's work and do this. Um, yeah, he's got some. He's got an album coming out um, soon. He's he's got some production stuff. He's coming coming out on High Focus that he's produced for an, another new signing, which I won't reveal right now. But it's all produced by King Kashmir for a new new high focus signing, and um, yeah, man, he's just um, he's just an absolute legend, a, a real pleasure to work with, and he really took me under his wing when I was young, when I was coming up, like when Verb T and Kashmir were touring together, they would just bring me to some of their shows and just give me like I don't know whatever thirty quid, just be like come and spit a few tunes, like get in the car, like, and I would just go in the car with them to like Wales and just like do like two songs or whatever, you know what I mean? They'd just bring me along because because they they rated me and they were like put, putting on me at, at that time. So yeah, man, it just kind of like goes round in in circles. And... Full circle, yeah, yeah. What about dead players? Oh man, yeah, there again. I mean, that's that's a kind of natural thing. I mean, Jam Baxter. I remember he was always a big fan of Dabla. Um, always working very closely with Ghost Town because uh, Jan Baxter and Ghost Town were actually living in a squat in London uh, together and Ghost Town was just bashing out these ridiculous beats and Baxter obviously had the pick of the bunch and um, yeah, he, I think he just reached out to Dabbler and, and they ended up linking up and, and creating um, their first sort of self-titled album and then obviously went on to Freshly Skeletal and I believe they got some new stuff in the pipeline as well, so ho- hopefully we hear we hear more from from them guys. But yeah, they they kind of you know we're we're quite innovative in terms of the sound and and how they switched up and like you know wrapped on a lot of kind of more one forty double time stuff shit that would kind of pop off in the in the club, you know. Right again, I think it was very much another landmark release for the label when you released that first album. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you launched High Focus out of necessity, like we said earlier, to release this second album 12 years ago last month. Yeah. Does it still surprise you how far the music you release travels? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does, man. It's, it's pretty mad, you know. I'll even go to, like, another country and, like, just walk into, like, I don't know, some bagel shop, and then there'll be, like, a guy be like, oh, flip tricks, you know, like, it does it really... <laughs> It really does spread. I was on some remote little beach the other day as well, and someone was like, "Oh, flip tricks!" Like, it's kind of mad, and it's cool because they're always cool. And um, yeah, it's interesting how how it's grown. And when I was at the High Focus 12th birthday um, party that we did at the Steel Yard in London uh, a couple right. of weeks back, I remember just being like, "High Focus is 12 now. Like, it's nearly a teenager. Like, it's just it actually is this whole other big energy that like exists." outside of us but it's all part of us i don't know man it's something like really cool that we've done so i'm i feel i feel proud of what we've all what we've all achieved and you know we're going to keep going so hopefully there's only more more exciting times to be had 
we, we be the kings of our throne. Benny, I'm not that clever. What I'm trying to say is I'm 100%. We, we, we be the kings of our throne. Benny, I'm not that clever. What I'm trying to say is I'm 100%. There ain't no magic here. Rhymes hang above your head like a chandelier. Usually serve them cold like a can of beer. First they were bold, then they ran in fear. I ain't gassed up, but just for safety, don't hold no candles near. I wear a chain made of snake carcass. Decorate my crown with chunks and pieces of the faint-hearted. I line these words and let them march at you like brave-hearted. Rappers throw a war paint, but all I see is painted targets. Straight liquor, no vino. They don't want to fuck with this, but as the French would say, man, that's just libido. One free flow, better than your whole career. Murdered it, but this be manslaughter, so they give us years. Acting like queens, the heads on the currency gone. Ain't fucking with me currently funny, but don't worry me none. Skill of the tongue, keep it tight like the Skin of a drum and years to come to tell a story like a tale of the hunt. The kings of our throne, the sum of our talent, it's audible gold. The crown has been handed, the pot on the roll. Plot at the banquet, you should have been told. The more than established, eliminating sellout rappers of the whackness. Left upon the shelves, embarrassing themselves. I've rather play them biggie, big pun or big L. With precision, we envision what the mission entails. Still driven by your inner vision, miracles prevail. Through the mysticism in the lyricism itself. Plus, we flip sales like with digital scales. So put your L's up if you know your health. Is your wealth for compelling evidence that we ain't settling for nothing else? To leave all in this film, we developed it well 100%. Do my stance as well. Summer soul through hell to compose the spell that got you all enchanted because it's so surreal. We, we, we be the kings of our throne. I'm not that clever. What I'm trying to say is I'm 100%. We, we, we be the kings of our throne. I'm not that clever. What I'm trying to say is I'm 100%. Yeah. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My peoples, are you with me where you at?